script is written. It's there. Like I said, we have the blueprints in our office. They're here. They're on our walls. And we have, obviously, the, the tr- talented athletes in our locker rooms. And it's just a matter of us as coaches building those relationships. And then our leadership, bringing our football team together. And then, obviously, uh, going out and making those timely plays and just keeping a tunnel vision, you know, right here. And, and it's, it's probably the thing I learned from Coach Dodge the most was worrying about the things we can control. We can't control a whole lot of things in this world, but we, what we can, we're going to try the very best to, to do the best we can at those and to put ourselves in a situation where we can be successful. Welcome to the Eans Parents United podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Silva. Join me for meaningful conversations and timely information about Eans School District, its past, present, and where we all hope, for the good of our children, it's heading. Our guest today is Coach Tony Salazar. If you don't know who Coach Salazar is, he's the uh, varsity head coach for the Westlake uh, football chaps. He's been with the uh, school on the team now, I think, about seven years. He takes over the reins from Coach Dodge this year for the first time with an incredible record, a legacy. Seven seasons, four championships, state championships, and three of those back-to-back-to-back with a perfect winning season last year. He is a coach's coach, a man's man. You can tell what cloth this gentleman is cut from. After listening to him and getting to know him, you can't be more proud to know we have this caliber of professional on that field guiding our young men to become leaders and winners. I'm sure for a season they will not forget for the rest of their lives. Uh, Coach Tony Salazar, uh, thank you for joining me today on our second episode of Ean's Parents Unite. Thanks, Aaron, for having me. I wanted to talk to you about you, um, maybe in some ways reintroduce you to our parents and fans out here, since this is your first official first year um, taking over the team. Maybe go, maybe try to go a little deeper into the mind of our new coach. And so I thought it would be interesting, you know, the road for you earning this privilege of coaching, uh, probably one of the most successful Texas high school football legacies. It, it was a windy one. Um, but before your coaching career started, you actually spent a lot of time, a lot of years on your father's knee, so to speak, who was also a coach, right? And and I thought maybe you can tell us a little bit about your dad, what you learned from him, uh, that maybe there's some things that you you learned from your dad that you still to this day walk on the field with, you know, every time. Well, Aaron, um, my story was, was a little different. Actually, my dad was, I would say, I learned competition through my dad. Growing up, he was a, um, they were a big, he was kind of a National League men's softball team. Him and he had five brothers. So six of the starting nine were all the same last name. We're all Salazars. (laughs) And uh, so kind of grew up in the dugout with those guys traveling across the state, across the country on weekends, playing in men's slow, slow pitch softball. And this was kind of the upper echelon of the elite of elite of men's softball, if there is such a thing. And there is, there's a, were they permitted to drink beers in the dugouts? There was some of that going on, no doubt. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, you know, they just competed at the end of the day. It was them having fun, enjoying the game, you know, and 
my dad was not a coach actually growing up. And really where I got that coaching mentorship was, I would say, start with my high school coach, Howard Ballard. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, my freshman year in high school at Dripping Springs to make the varsity football team. And at that time, uh, it had never been done before. There, I was I think I was the first freshman ever to start on uh, at that time. It was just a little 3A town, which is hard to believe. But now it's a 6A, obviously, in our district coming up. But when I grew up there, it was it was a one-horse town, one stoplight town is all there was. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, my high school head coach, Howard Ballard, kind of just took me under his wing from a young age when I was 14, 15 years old as a freshman. And he said, I see some things in you that, um, you know, if you stay the course, you can achieve some greatness. And I, and I listened to him and I believed in him. Uh, for four years, he was my high school coach and he kind of guided me along the way. And, you know, I kind of broke in as a, I still, to this day, you know, along the way in my playing career, I was fortunate enough to receive some several accolades playing all state awards in high school, Syntex, all Syntex, all, I mean, the award I think that I cherished the most, though, was being a team captain. And I was a team captain of my high school football team for my last two years. And I think that's pretty unique because most of the time, those team captain awards are reserved for senior football players, guys that have been in your program for four years, you know, and they've earned that right. And uh, every now and again, there's one of them that's extra special, and they get that opportunity to be a team captain as a junior and a senior. Uh-huh. Uh, we have one of those guys on our team this year. And uh, so I just think uh, at an early age, I learned from a high school head coach what a leader what a leader was. And it wasn't just being the best player on the team. It was making all those around you even better. Yeah. Uh, and it was bringing the rest of your team up. Obviously, by the way, your work ethic, uh, your demeanor on the field, and then obviously just, you know, um, the results, being a playmaker and making plays. And I think uh, that's what I learned at an early age in high school. Um, and I think that kind of transformed me as I got into college. Um, and then from there, I had the opportunity to really kind of take the next step in my journey, my growing as a as a, as a leader of men. And um, I played at Mary Harden Baylor for legendary coach Pete Fredenberg, just retired in January. I think of the last 22 years, he's won 19 of the 22 conference championships and three national championships. But at a young age, my freshman year, it's kind of a repeat cycle of high school. I went, and I remember going into the locker room as a freshman, freshman safety, playing defense. And I looked at the depth chart my first day, and I was about 12, number 12 on the list. Put my head down and went to work. And then every day, I saw about one or two names disappear off the board in front of me. Yeah. For whatever reason. And they missed mom. They missed a girlfriend. They missed home. Whatever it was, they, you know, they got injured. They didn't love the game. So many reasons as to why they decided to, you know, to not keep trying. And I just keep kept working myself way up the depth chart. And then I think by the third game in my freshman year, um, I was starting. And uh, so I started the rest of the duration of my freshman year. Once again, achieved some greatness. But the thing I got out of the most was my head football coach, Coach Fredenberg. Uh, I kind of befriended his son, Cody. Fredenberg, who was also a freshman. Yeah, you um, uh, you talked about him. You had this relate, very close relationship. He was also a co-leader. Yeah, yeah. He was. We were the same age, so we were. He was the freshman starting quarterback, and I was the freshman safety. 
uh, starting safety. And we kind of just mirrored each other's collegiate career careers as we went through. I think after in our freshman year, Cody was the conference, American Southwest Conference freshman offensive player of the year. And then my freshman year, I was the American Southwest Conference defensive freshman of the year. And we kind of took that all the way through until um, our senior years. Mm-hmm. Cody was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy in Division Three, which is known as the Gallardi Trophy. I was a first-team All-American. He was the conference player of the year. I was the conference defensive player of the year. Kind of the same deal in high school. I ended up being a team captain my junior year and my senior year in college. And, of course, for to two, for two years to be a captain in high school, two years to be a captain in college, I cherish that responsibility of being that leadership role in our football team. And I think that's what led me to led me to be a leader in life and uh, to now lead these young men every single day. Well, that's um, I tell my children and I know a lot of dads tell their children that at least for me, some of the best lessons I learned, you know, about running a business, being a leader, understanding how to win, win and lose. For me, it started on the baseball field. And, um, you know, I always, we have a rule in our house, our kids can play any sports they want, but they have to play at least one team sport because you, if you're playing by yourself, you can't, you know, you can't learn leadership if you're playing tennis, just maybe expand on, you know, your experience as a leader. Why is it so important that we teach leadership to young men that are 17, 18, 19 years old? You know, what, what does it, what does it mean uh, for the rest of their life if it's not happening for them right now and what you can only get on a team sport like this. Right. And I think you kind of piggyback segue from the, the previous question is high school football coaches, whether we, whether coaches want it to be this way or not, we are essentially a father figure to a lot of these young men. Some of them don't have fathers in their lives and we are in fact, the de facto uh, father in their life. We are the male figure in their life that's going to hold them accountable. I think that's the biggest thing that nowadays, uh, today's young student athletes, especially boys, that's what they lack um, in their lives a lot of times is accountability. parents just to simply tell them no. Yeah, and, and tell them no and to hold them accountable and to hold their feet to the fire. And if they make bad choices or they make bad decisions, obviously coming up with some type of a consequence or – to make sure they understand that there's a, there's a result of their actions and that it's more, we have a whole football team of players that are counting on them when they make a selfish decision, whether that be in school, out of school, wherever it might be, it still affects all of us in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And it's just accountability, you know, responsibility. We talk these kids about communicating. We, I mean, they're 16 years old and they check in with their position coaches every single day. If they're going to not be a practice, they text us. They call us. Hey, coach, I'm sick this morning. I'm not going to be a practice. Yeah. That's going to translate to them for the rest of their lives. We tell them, hey, if you don't just show up to your real job when you're 26 years old and you, you never told your boss anything, you just wanted to miss when you wanted to miss, you're going to show up one day and you're not going to have that job anymore. And they're not going to warn you about it. It's just not going to be there. There's going to be somebody to take your job. Yeah. If you yeah. don't treat you know your significant other you know, the way that they should be treated, you're going to come back. Yeah. The significant is not going to be there anymore. And it's about treating people right. It's about living right and and taking a, you know a hold of your own actions. Yeah, it's it's been my opinion for some time. I don't think America is raising enough real men these days, and that that may fall 
uh, on other, on some of the listeners ears the wrong way, but I don't care. I don't think we have enough real men, true men, strong men, responsible, competent, uh, men that are prepared to go out into life after high school, do what they're, what men are supposed to do. You know, do you think it's, it's really an incumbency on all coaches or, you know, to, to really think that what they're doing at the end of the day, and I'm talking just about men's sports right now, that they, they really have to understand that they are raising young men and there are values and character attributes that they're going to take with them. It, it's part of the lesson. It's, it's part of our why. It's part of why we are coaches. It's part of why we are educators. You can turn it to the science teacher down the hall. You can t- put the same, you know, spin on the, the nurse that's, that takes care of our sick children. I mean, we all are here because we see the value of raising and nurturing and developing our young students and obviously hoping that they, we set them forth in their lives into the future into society to pass along, hopefully, these tremendous qualities of, of being great humans to somebody else. And it keeps getting passed down. And so that obviously our society can be filled with people that understand what hard work looks like, understand what, like we said, teamwork looks like, to understand what accountability looks like, responsibility. I mean, I tell our kids all the time, not everybody can play high school varsity football Westlake. Yeah. When you when your alarm goes off for the first three days of every week at four four thirty in the morning, not many people want to sign up for that. Yeah. But our kids understand the importance of it. They understand how that translates. That they're there for their teammates. They're not just there for themselves. And it's this football team and this logos we wear. It's so much bigger than just any one of us. And we know that we'll never achieve greatness if it's if we're all pulling different directions. Uh, we have to be unified in our vision, our goals, and obviously work together and trust each other. And I think that's what uh, we've captured here at Westlake High School, and we're going to continue to try to, you know, develop these young men into, into great, great leaders. Do you think that there's there's more and more burden put on other people to turn out men today than there were 20 years ago? You know, were were the parents doing a good enough job? And the coaches just had to, you know, uh, embrace that or reinforce it. And maybe today the parents are not doing a good job and there's more responsibility on the coach to, to make men out of. And I don't want to bemoan parents for not being good parents. You know, that's my first time raising kids, too. I may screw it up as well. Do you think there's more of a responsibility, unfortunately, for coaches to tell kids no and to create structures and reward systems that they're not getting in a home. And even, you know, we're in a pretty uh, affluent area over here. There's a, there's a lot of kids getting whatever they want. What is there a trend? What would you say the trend is coming from that one stoplight town in Dripping Springs to, right. you know, seven, eight, seven, four, six. Right. I think there's no doubt. I think there's, it's, uh, it's become more and more prevalent of, the growing number of kids that need, all right, our assistance to help them understand those key characteristics of successful people. Like we keep saying, accountability and, you know, sportsmanship and, and yeah, and saying no, you know, and, and just simply, you know, I think there's many things that go into that. Some of that's obviously for whatever reason, a single parent households. Yeah, you know, sure, there's no doubt. Um, it could be, it could be. Yeah, there's more, there's there's more. You know, mom and dads are living in separate homes now. 
And maybe back then there was more families that were together. Yeah. Or there was just, you know, one parent around. Yeah. Maybe the other one wasn't involved, but they were, there was a singular figure in the household. Now today I see a lot of dads that are involved with their kids or moms that are involved with their kids. But now you kind of, what I feel like is there's the families are, yeah, they kind of, the kids sense that they can kind of, if I ask mom and she says no, then maybe I can go ask dad and he'll say yes uh-huh. because mom said no. And dad doesn't want to be, all right, the no, mean guy because mom said no. And now it's kind of the kid kind of manipulates. I don't the, know. Naturally, yeah, yeah understands how to manipulate the system to get the answer, the result that he or she wants. You see a lot of divorced parents where they compete. You know, I don't want to be the parent that says no. You know, because right. then he'll want to go over to dad's. You know, he'll want to be with dad, and that's, that, that's, that that dynamic does exist. I see it all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, that that happens, obviously, and yeah. you know, it's not it's not my job to decipher who is right and who is wrong. I'm do, it's my job to set forth guidelines and expectations of our student athletes and hold them accountable based off of their actions to those guidelines. Yeah. But you see the results on the field. That's the thing. You see it, right? Yeah, that's right. We see it, but it's also they still have to, you know, be accountable to us. Uh, so that's kind of what we're teaching these kids, you know, and, and obviously I want to be there. I, I, we want to be there for those parents that need us, that, that do have a kid that's maybe not listening to mom and dad. Yeah. And they do need, you know, uh, another resource to reach out to and to help their children. And, and believe me, that's, I, I, I don't love those calls because that means the kid's probably in a, in a, in a spot where he's, He's not right, and we got to yeah. get him right. Yeah, but I like it because at least I'm aware of it, and at least that I can. While it's under my watch, I can try my best to nurture this kid, you know, back to a, a healthy state of mind and back to a you know um, where he needs to be. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, a great coach knows how to connect and get the best from his players because you have to do it at the individual layer, individual level to make a cohesive team. Some players respond to discipline. Some respond to humor. Some. It takes a hand over the shoulder and maybe even a slap on the helmet, I'm sure. How do you like best to connect with the players at an individual level so that you can get the absolute most from them as individuals as you shape that team? What's your kind of trick as a coach? Every coach has a different thing. Right. I think it's the trick, in, I think, in, in my role is identifying every the way to reach every kid because every kid is different is different like everyone's stated. different yeah there's so many different ways that you have to reach these kids and and sometimes it takes a little learning curve to figure it out and that's obviously with new relationships it doesn't matter any walk of life the new relationship you got to establish that rapport with somebody else obviously so they can trust you and believe in you and and understand you have their best interests at heart and uh, understand that the hard coaching is just what it is it's just trying to get out the best in you, uh, and it's because we we expect things, and we know that uh, our kids are capable of achieving so so many great things, uh, and our kids understand that they don't feel ever attacked. And I think that's part of our trick as coaches is we don't ever want to attack any of our players. But we yeah we are critical of of their actions on the field. Yeah, um, but we never attack a player and talk about the fact that he can't get something done. Uh, every one of our kids want to get done, do something. They want to make the play. They want to be, you know, contributing member to our football team. Yeah. 
Now, obviously, whether or not that happens, that's there's plenty of variables yeah. of preparation that goes into putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. Um, but reaching every kid is just different. It's, it's finding the switch. It's knowing, yeah, the first day I coached that kid pretty hard and got onto him because we spent 45 minutes in a film session right before practice. And we walked through this, you know, the scenario to start practice. And now when it happened in a full speed moment, first time to implement or put that into play, you'd act like we never talked about it before, or we didn't spend the time to walk through it. And so there's obviously there's a disappointment because that skill set didn't translate to a game time decision, a game yeah. time reaction. Yeah. So you didn't retain right. that learning. You got to bring that right. forward. Right. Yeah. And you just, you, you judge body language really a lot of the time, right? After that moment. I mean, Sometimes those kids, we always, we pride ourselves as coaches that no matter how critical we are of a kid on the football field about his play, we don't ever let those kids go home and leave our place without some without closure yeah. to make sure these kids know that that's, that's all it was. Yeah. We were coaching you hard and yelling at you because you were lazy for the second half of practice today. Yeah. And that led you to making these mistakes. Yeah. As opposed to, Hey, little Jimmy. I don't like you and I don't like your mom or dad. So I'm just going to yell at you to yell at you because I don't think you can do it and whatever it has nothing to do with it. We will pull a little Jimmy aside before we walk off that field, whatever coach it was. And they will, they will put that loving arm around the kid and say, Hey, are, are we straight? You understand? When we leave this field yeah. here. That was what happened out there. All right. Was stays out there. And that's yeah. what it is. And, and our kids understand that our coaches understand that. And there's trust, you know, and we can be transparent with our kids. We tell them, we call a spade a spade. When you're going to do good, we're going to tell you guys you're doing great. That's that's our expectation. That's our standard. That is an awesome job. Well, that's life. But when we don't, yeah, well, but when we don't, we're also going to make sure that we know that that is not who we are. That's not who we want to be. And that's not the result we want. And let's find a way, common ground together here to make sure we can get there. Is that more film study? Is that more? reps on the field what is that uh, or is that just me trying somebody else because this is just not going to work it, asking you to do your skill set to do this task doesn't match up yeah yeah it is it is really one of the joys of coaching to figure out what that switch is for every kid yep and every um, kid every kid's different every kid is different four state championships three back to back to back last year was a perfect season Right. Yep. So you have right. under, you have no. There's no pressure on you. Been, there's no pressure on you to do better. No pressure. <laughs> you, you, right. Well, this uh, is this is yeah. <laughs> we can't do. You can't do much better. We'd much rather be playing for something. All right, every single week than just to be hoping to win a game or get in playoffs. Like the, there are bigger goals and aspirations here of these kids, and that's what you want. Starting week eleven, when we start this playoffs, it's. They hand out a gold ball trophy every single week. And the goal is to have five gold balls and then one big walnut and bronze, all right, gold trophy. Uh, and those are the six trophies you can win in the playoffs. And that signifies, obviously, that you were the best team in Texas. And we've got the smartest kids in Texas. Mm -hmm, for sure. uh, we, we lead this, the state in uh, academic all-state recipients the last eight years we've been here at Westlake. And so we use that to our advantage. Our kids are so bright, and then we motivate the heck out of them. Uh, to make them believe that uh, every single day that we step out there, we're striving to be better and the best. And, and we talk about being the best. And like I said, I, I turn around as motivation. I said, 
well, then we're going to expect you to practice like the best. We're going to expect you to prepare like the best. We're going to expect you to give the best effort in the classroom. We're going to expect you to act like a state champion in public. And yeah, when you're not in school, it's going to be a, yeah. it's going to be a 24 seven thing. And so having that pressure, having those expectations, I, I don't look at it as scary or frightening. I, I, t- I try to look at it through a completely different lens and say, what an opportunity. And that's what I tell kids every, every day. We have an opportunity to do something that nobody else has done. And we've said that now for the last three years. We had a chance in 19, hey, we're going to do something that only one of the team has done at Westlake. That was the win a state championship. In 20, hey, we got a chance to do what's never been done at Westlake and win another state championship. Hey, we got a chance to go win a third one in a row. And then now it's, you know, the script is written. Um, it's there. Like I said, we have the blueprints in our office. They're here. They're on our walls. Um, and we have, obviously, the, the talented athletes in our uh, in our locker rooms. And it's just a matter of us as coaches building those relationships and then our leadership bringing our football team together um, and then obviously uh, going out and making those timely plays and staying out of keeping a tunnel vision, you know, right here. And and it's it's probably the thing I learned from Coach Dodge the most was, you know, working, worrying about the things we can control. We can't control a whole lot of things in this world, but we what we can, we're going to try the very best to to do the best we can at those and put ourselves in a situation where we can be successful. I thank you very much for your time today, just learning about you and listening to your philosophies and allowing me to ask you some of these kind of deeper questions you probably don't get from many people. Um, it's the stuff that yeah. I'm interested in. I sure hope you're there when my son is old enough to enter the program. Well, I hope so too, Aaron. This is a special place. And, and obviously the, the parent support has been uh, so amazing through the years. Um, you know, I, I heard this say once upon a time is, you know, games are won by coaches and players. And I think championships are won by administration and communities. And I think that's kind of, it's a whole lot of that is the truth. I mean, to this place, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here leading them. Um, but I can tell you it's more honor and pleasure just to, to take the field with them and to see those guys laid on the line for each other. That's so special. I've seen so many boys growing to men. In the last my last eight years here at Westlake High School, and I just uh, I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything in the world. It gives me so much pleasure and makes my heart full when those uh, those relationships reappear after you know those kids are now grown into men. Well, thank you again, Coach Salazar, for being here today. I appreciate it very much, and good luck. Good luck against Lake Travis. You got it. Thank you so much. Building Bridges with Jennifer Stevens. I'm Jen Stevens, and this is why I think things are not necessarily what you think they might be. Two years ago, almost to the day, I uh, started Ian's Kids First, thinking that it would be myself and maybe eight or ten friends, information sharing on trying to get our children back in school. At the time, I had two kids at home, both really suffering from being quarantined at home and really needing back-in-school access to their education. And I reached out uh, to a couple of members of the school board, and I was shut down and told that I was going to learn to reimagine education, which was not an option for me. I reached out to our then superintendent and was told that he did not have time to talk to me. 
In short, I tried to be nice, and I tried to understand the process. Once I discovered that there was no process, uh, things, I guess, got heated in the community because I began to push. And one thing that you may or may not know about me is I am a fighter for what I believe is right. I work really hard to raise a lot of money for charities that help kids and families that need help. I believe in giving a hand up. And when I saw that there were families desperately needing access to the schools for their children, I knew it was wrong to stay silent when my heart was so driven otherwise. But I'm not necessarily what you might have heard I am. I'm not visceral or negative or angry. I'm not mean, as someone once asked me. I'm just a mom who believed that my children needed to come first in that situation, and I knew that their social and educational growth would be stunted. I think it's important to know your neighbor. The people in this community who reached out to me, who either did or didn't believe in the same things I was working for, I really appreciate. I appreciate having a chance to have a cup of coffee with someone who had been very opposed to my positions. And at the end of the coffee, she said to me, I wish I would have just called you a year ago. I would encourage all of us to really know our neighbor. I'd encourage all of us to look at the chance to know our teachers. I think our teachers are, I would say, at least 96, 97 percent of them absolutely love our kids. The teachers love their job. They want to do a good job, and they want to teach our children. I don't think they're interested in political indoctrination. I don't think they're trying to pull a fast one on you. And I think if you'll take a moment, take a breath, and reach out to the teachers and really get to know them, I think you'll find that too. I do know that what I heard from multiple teachers was at a time when COVID was happening and they were having to learn how to teach via Zoom, and then it was teach via Zoom or in, and, and in person at the same time. At that same time, we had a political uh, effort, a political movement to force some critical race theory teaching onto them. And I think that when you want to talk about teacher retention, I think it cannot be ignored that at the, probably the most stressful time in the history of teaching uh, unfortunately, our district made some bad decisions and began to try to divert their time, their energy, and their effort toward a political movement. Luckily, two years later, we now can also move away from that. And our teachers uh, are awesome. They deserve our praise and our thanks and our gratitude and our support. And when you have a concern with a teacher on an assignment or anything else, I would encourage you to act with grace and ask a question. What you see on social media, maybe a screenshot that gets shared around, I think these things are not necessarily what you think they might be. And I hope that as a community, we can all begin to commit to knowing each other truly, respecting and appreciating differences, and finding unity and working together for our teachers and our schools and our kids. Thanks for joining us on the Eames Parents United podcast. 
This podcast is brought to you by Ian's Kids First, ensuring that Ian's prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights, and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's E-A-N-E-S kids.com. If you would like more information about this podcast, contact me directly or give us any feedback, feel free to visit our website at eanspodcast.com or eansparentsunite.com. Unite.com.